Value Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. Welcome to our Radio Finance Virtual Dialogue, scaling digital transformation amid strong regulatory impetus in the Philippines. We have with us a distinguished group of senior executives in technology, operations, and digital banking from leading financial institutions in the Philippines. They will share with us their perspective on the next steps in digital transformation journey and how they are redefining technology, processes, and customer experience. I am Niti Agarwal, Senior Research Manager at the Asian Banker, and I will be your host for the next 60 minutes. So in today's session, we will take a deeper look into the opportunities created by the emerging technologies, and we will discuss how the progressive banks in the Philippines are designing their digital strategy to better position themselves in the coming decade. And the topics that we'll cover today are how banks are enhancing operating model by utilizing cloud, becoming digital first, uh, how they are leveraging advanced technologies such as AI, APIs, uh, robotic process automation, and real-time collaboration uh, to accelerate their digital transformation, and what is next in digitization of core banking services, such as lending, deposits, and payments. So we hope to have a very engaging and interactive discussion. I will take this opportunity now to introduce our guests. We have with us Henry Royal Aguda. He's Senior Executive Vice President, Chief Technology and Operations Officer, and Chief Transformation Officer at the Union Bank of the Philippines. John Howard Medina, He's Chief Operations Officer at Philippines Bank of Communication. Noel Santiago, he's Chief Digital Officer, Senior Vice President and Group Head of Digitization and Channels at uh, Bank of Philippine Island. Ariwel Ramu, he's Chief Technology Officer at Tonic, which is the first digital-only bank in the Philippines. Henry Antonio, he's advisor to the chairperson on business transformation projects at RCBC. And we have Raj Shekhar Maya. He is vice president, global head for consulting at Infosys Pinnacle. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. And I look forward to a lively discussion. So the Philippines financial sector has emerged as a hotbed for innovation, driven by strong digital growth and regulatory impetus. Over the last few years, banks in Philippines have been digitizing rapidly to thrive in an increasingly complex and competitive environment. The industrial dynamics are changing. The country grapples with significant uh, low financial inclusion with 70% unbanked population. 69% of adult population in the country has access to mobile phones. 53% use internet, but less than 10% use it for financial transactions. The central regulator BSP has now set the target for digitization of 50% 50, 50 of the country's retail transactions and financial inclusion of 70% of Filipino adults by 2023. Towards this, the regulator has also paved way for the entry of new digital banks that disrupt traditional models with agile services and lowered operating costs. There is also rapid growth of fintech that address customer pain points innovatively, use data more effectively, and forge new business models. All this has changed the customer expectations to a more 
towards more personalized and contextualized and seamless service experience from their banks. Meanwhile, the digital transactions and e-payments have surged amid the pan pandemic. Uh, Instapay transactions grew by over 450% and Pesonate uh, by 375% in 2020. So now to succeed and scale in this dynamic environment, banks need holistic transformation that encompass mindset and cultural change and a shift to customer-centric processes. More importantly, this needs the foundation of agile, scalable, and secure technology to meet the evolving customer and efficiency needs. DSP has also been quite proactive in uh, supporting the adoption of uh, emerging technologies such as cloud and EKYC to enable banks for this digital future. So, so the first topic that we are looking to discuss today is how banks are enhancing their operating model by uh, utilizing cloud. So events of 2021 have actually accelerated the pace and trajectory of digital transformation across the industry. Now, as you seek to speed the uh, digitization and enhance customer engagement, I want to ask banks how they are adopting cloud technology to drive digital first operating model deploy new applications, and to improve their scale and efficiencies. So uh, perhaps, uh, uh, Henry Aguda, perhaps you can share with us what has been the experience at your bank with cloud-based implementation. And could you also share some of the tangible success stories with us? On the cloud, it's been a very instrumental uh, thing for us in Union Bank in order for us to accelerate and make our infrastructure resilient. Uh, you know what they say, you're only as fast as your infra. So just to give you an idea, five years back, Union Bank owned its own data centers. So 99% of our computing platform were on-premise. And then you know, the, uh, we started moving out from our physical data center to outsourcing it to uh, eventually having a cloud-first cloud policy where we've started moving our computing packages to the cloud. And the promise of our technology team is in two years time, we will, all, we will now have a cloud only infrastructure. I think the only thing that uh, we've not moved to the cloud uh, is our main CASA. And uh, you know, our friends from Pinagel knows this, we're hard at work trying to move the core of our uh, banking infra to the cloud. And we feel that once it's been moved to the cloud, uh, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll claim that uh, our infra is uh, purely uh, uh, and the new generation uh, infra. Now, the advantages of which has been during the pandemic, it has really helped us a lot with our work from home infrastructure, allowed our employees to connect their current uh, broadband services from home uh, directly to the cloud instead of going to the data centers that uh, we have, allowed us to conserve our bandwidth. And, you know, you cannot uh, talk uh, enough about how resilient the cloud uh, infrastructure is. So uh, when it comes to speed and uh, being able to be agile as well as being able to scale uh, at will, uh, our cloud infra has actually helped us a lot. So, and uh, a very important point, you are only as fast as your infra. So uh, also tell us, uh, you know, this is a big journey moving totally to a cloud only infrastructure. What were some of the significant challenges that you faced in this journey? The biggest one is not so much the infra as uh, the readiness of the systems themselves. Uh, five years ago, not uh, mo 
the infrastructure that are ready for cloud are the cloud native ones. Most of them are productivity tools. It's only in the past three years where the core systems are now adapting to, to the cloud. So the biggest challenge is that uh, the, the migration of an existing system to the cloud. In fact, uh, it's easier to move to the cloud if you're greenfield, but if you're an operating bank like ours, where we have a lot of legacy uh, infra and database, and where you know it's like changing your wheels while driving 90 miles per hour. So that's the biggest problem, and that's the biggest fear we have. It's uh, problems with the migration if we encounter any. So at this point, I'd like to invite John to also share about, uh, you know, what has, how Philippines Bank of Communication, how you have been shifting your system towards cloud, uh, what has been your experience? And uh, are you also facing some of the challenges that uh, Henry talked about? How are you addressing those challenges? Well, Henry was correct when he was saying it's easier to spin off a greenfield uh, instance on the cloud uh, rather than moving the back. So what we did was we did a hybrid approach. We, uh, we spun off a separate instance of our core uh, into the cloud uh, on a latest release so that uh, we could uh, service our newer initiatives. So in effect, we created a bank within the bank that was on the cloud. Uh, we did this in 2019. And... Uh, this was just in time uh, for the pandemic because we went live at the end of 2019. And when 2020 came around, it was easier for us to pivot several of our products and services on this cloud instance. And when there was a spike in, uh, in electronic transactions during the, the lockdown last year, it was easier for us to scale up in terms of capacity uh, and bandwidth because we had a separate instance for a lot of our retail initiatives on the cloud. That's true, especially during the pandemic, as Henry mentioned, and as you've also mentioned, it's the it's the bandwidth and the scale and the agility with which you could bring about the change that's quite important. So uh, you've adopted a hybrid strategy. It's, is it also a multi-cloud strategy? No, we, uh, we are running on one of the major cloud providers okay. uh, and okay. we're doing a SaaS model, okay. which makes it easier for us to, uh, I guess, pivot from one side to the other. Ramu, I would love to hear your comments on this. So you've launched a first digital bank in the Philippines, which is also primarily cloud-based. And we heard that it's uh, relatively easier to uh, for a greenfield project rather than, uh, as uh, previously mentioned, uh, for an existing bank. Share with us, uh, how are you implementing digital first strategy? How do you plan to differentiate your service and customer experience uh, to achieve scale? And you know, uh, how are you building the technology as an enabler for this pure digital strategy? Tonic, most of you know, first digital only new bank in Southeast Asia, and we are operating last six months in the Philippines um, and privately owned the bank. And the HQ is based out of Singapore. I proudly say the bank born in cloud. And I designed from day one, zero on-prem infrastructure specific to customer. Um, we put the infrastructure only for the employees to connect and operate and work, but the customer gets 24 bar seven. Um, it's built on multi-cloud strategy from day one. What it mean? So we looked at the customer-centric design, not started from technology, start trying to look at the solving real people problem, looking at mass of loan and financial inclusion. Today, people need help for saving, not the bank casa account, coming to branch with a good dress, waiting in a queue, opening, filling the forms. So you have to 
fix the KYC problem. Need a quick, quick cash, which means underwriting problems, not 10 days waiting for banking procedure. Easy to move money. I, I have seven years coming back and forth um, to Philippines. My first customer is Henry, which is there in Union Bank. So if you look at the design experience on, on early in Philippines, for opening a, a, a payee registered account, I need to go to the branch, fill the form, adding the payee, how painful it is. So we looked at the customer-centric. Uh, I want to design a bank, which is mobile only, fast onboarding, um, higher interest rate, so people get a better benefit, no fee model, easy to move money, and the localized, hyper-personalized experience and product. This problem, we tried to put it into technology. One is, the key thing I always start with, lower the cost so can pass the benefit to customer. And that require agility and innovation. So now if I put that into customer-centric way, the customer voice to be reflected first. What it means, I need to get the customer feedback, build it in a technology, which can be agile in mode. That means every two weeks I can able to incorporate a customer voice, build it at a new feature, I can able to roll out. That means I need an infrastructure and development process which can do the faster rollout development. And second, design thinking and customer empathy, the needs and wants, quick prototype, test, pilot, scale, fail fast, adaptation. Now that I will bring the agility and speed, which is key for innovation, which tightly coupled with the infrastructure. When I say infrastructure, uh, uh, we chose cloud native and multi-cloud, best in breed. And um, if you look at it, I have workload running in AWS and Google Cloud and um, Azure in a secure way. And um, which you look at, for example, um, to increase the speed, we use a CACD pipeline with the DevSecOps, with the blue-green uh, deployment and auto-scalable infrastructure, we call it as infrastructure as a code, uh, which Terraform uh, all this one-click deployments, so it can reduce greatly the deployment time. The cloud security, especially known uh, dedicated instances to ensure the, the production environment is safe and uh, not easily touchable. Open APIs are built and exposed over microservices, so it's all containers and, um, you know, if, if you hit about serverless architecture, which has been built, most of the APIs can perform in a higher thing. And SOC 2 compliant to ensure we are not compromising on security, even though we are running it. This is the next big part is our cost saving, which is um, I worked with the vendor who can do hosted managed service, where I'm taking one piece of component, the engagement layer can be built by us because that's our heart and soul, our brain. But the second time the system of records and operation can be given to hosted managed service so that the low reduced OPEX and optimized um, CAPEX. So it will, I can say, you know, I have very, very minimal CAPEX and reduced OPEX in a tear-based pricing, which gave you the better benefit, which means you can you can say a bank launched uh, less than a few million dollars. Um, okay. That makes a history. So this helps, that, that that's all goes to cloud-based technologies today. Um, and we haven't expected this whole pandemic Luckily, we build that whole thing is in a virtual-based mode. So when the pandemic comes in, the whole bank's built in a remote location and launched it, uh, which is a historical event for us. Even we couldn't believe it. Without seeing each other, we can able to build and launch something, a new bank. 
So hyper-personalization, design, and agile, definitely those are uh, very important uh, things to you know, address. Also, give us a, tell us briefly about the business growth and customer traction you've received since you've launched. Uh, how are you addressing the challenge of building trust among the customers you know, to shift pro- uh, towards a pure digital model? Amazing. Um, the, the initial biggest challenge in front of us is the traditional banks are built with the big buildings and um, you know multiple branches and human touch point to build the trust. For a virtual new bank as is the uh, big, big challenge is how to build the trust. The trust building is multiple angle. Number one is the customer centric hyper-personalization service, which I talked about content delivery. Um, how you connect the customer to the virtual bank. Um, to make them feel, ah, this is bank for me. Um, that is the messaging need to be connected. One aspect, we did a lot of research, a part of focus group and things. Um, for example, if you see most of our, our people called Zozo, love you. So this is the very connective juicy words to connect people personally, number one. Number two, the application built with internalized, you know, internationalized secure technologies. For example, when I put mobile first, I didn't put just by word. Um, if you look at it, the whole mobile app is secured with um, a class A technology from um, the app is completely secured. So second, we use even for onboarding, we little used uh, different technologies. For example, um, liveliness detection. It again detect you, uh, you are a real human or not. And second time when you come back, I can detect you whether you have already have a bank account or not with the same face. Um, which is all advanced technology, we call it as 3D liveliness detections through AI machine engines. So then we, we have deduplication check based on your, not your IDs, based on your face, um, biometric. Um, this is the kind of technology helps technology fraud management and trust building for the Thank customer, you. money is safe. Third message, last one is uh, giving the control to customer. Today, if you want to lock you unlock any part of your applications, a card. So, uh, Noel, uh, if you can also share with us, uh, you know, how uh, now that we have got digital first propositions entering the market, so uh, how you're building your cloud strategy. And also, you know, there's that there's this question about uh, IT outsourcing and concentration risk, because uh, as we've heard, uh, uh, it's not always multi-cloud or different. Uh, it could be. So there's a risk element attached to it as well. So if you can address that uh, and briefly, please. We started, IT outsourcing has been there for the last, if my memory search, the last 20 years. No? And, yes. uh, and BPI has been one of the first who have embraced that. That was even before cloud computing came into the picture, right? So we embraced that outsourcing uh, with, with, uh, with, that, with its promise of uh, efficiency, uh, better run uh, capabilities coming from uh, the people who does that for a living. No? So it's more like a getting the best people to run your infrastructure. Uh, the world has changed since then, right? Now, we are taking a opportunistic approach in the way we will uh, enhance our capability to deliver products and services to the customer by looking at what are the platforms and systems that is due for replacement and take that opportunity to make it as a service and a 
possible. I mean, the extent is as a service. And if not, if it's still a, our own um, run uh, platform, uh, how can we move them to the cloud, right? So that's <clears throat> on the production side. Uh, we also look at capabilities from within our own internal needs, right? Uh, office automation tools, uh, workplace solutions, right? They're all moving into the cloud right now. As we speak, uh, we're, we're re replacing all our, our internal platforms into a cloud-based solution. Our customer servicing platforms right now from the contact center all the way to the branches and the various touch points are now running on a, a software as a service solution. Uh, our technology development environment, uh, it's been moved to the cloud. Now, what we are still uh, looking at is some of our legacy systems, a 170 year old organization carries a lot of uh, tradition and uh, price possession, right? Mm -hmm. uh, some of them are our legacy platforms. That's that, true. That was uh, architected and developed way before cloud computing uh, was uh, foreseen, right? So we have to look at that and say, can we chop it down into smaller pieces that would allow us to progressively move with the minimum risk in customer uh, disruption. No? So okay. that's the strategy that we're working on, uh, opportunistic mm -hmm. in the new things that we need to put forth. And then the big ones, uh, we, we bite the elephant one piece at a time. So, and uh, you uh, brought about the very important thing that we've heard earlier also about the legacy technology and, and the challenges that, that come with it. So uh, Maya, at this point, uh, a quick perspective from you on uh, the, you know, how to handle this kind of uh, uh, challenge that comes with the migration of technology uh, when banks have an extensive uh, legacy technology, uh, and uh, how, how can that challenge be addressed? So, from our experience, we have seen that there are two sets of banks, which basically looks at in terms of uh, how to transform themselves in the larger context of a digital. The digital transformation in that journey, cloud is one of the primary pillar, uh, uh, you can call it as. So the two sets of banks are, the first set of banks is a traditional bank, as I think uh, Neil mentioned about, uh, banks which have a lot of legacy environment and they are not ready to move into a cloud overnight uh, in a one weekend, all customers, all branches, all uh, transactions are moving because it requires that kind of a risk management and many of the applications are not built for cloud as as noel mentioned so these kind of banks what we are witnessing is they are taking a, a progressive modernization approach a component by component a module by module kind of a uh, movement to a cloud and that also happens with respect to looking at whether those applications that have been there in the in the bank uh, it landscape for a long time can they convert it to be a microservices based architecture or can be uh, APS can be built around it. So all of those experimentation is happening and it takes time and these set of banks are looking at in a progressive modernization. The second set of banks that we are witnessing is, is banks which are digitally native. That means they are from day one wants to be on a latest technology. They don't want to carry anything which is not core competency to them. And these banks are looking at to offer limited 
banking functionality, but starting with technology on a big scale. And today, compared to a five years, 10 years kind of a scenario, you have all elements that are available in terms of what it requires for you to be a digital native, whether it is in terms of the cloud infrastructure service providers, whether in terms of the application service providers, the entire ecosystem of the fintechs and the startups, which was missing five, six years back, they're all available now in a ready-made kind of a plug and play kind of a situation. So we are seeing these kind of banks are much faster in their adoption to the latest technologies and in their digital journey are being digital native and cloud still plays a major role in their environment. And for them also, it is equally important to be the cost neutral or if at the most cost effective because they will not be able to afford an on-premise environment to be maintained and run by the uh, their own IT staff or somebody else. So they want to make sure that uh, whatever port to them, they retain it to themselves and whatever not port to them, they want to now outsource it to the cloud service providers. And uh, this also provides them the assurance in terms of the safety, security, because many of these hyperscalers, they have invested huge billions of dollars in making sure that their technology landscape is secure. And they have communities which support them on a split second basis in a real time basis. I think that is also coming in to help these smaller banks to looking at moving into that. See, in these smaller banks journey, we've also seen some of the, the traditional banks trying to test the weather by putting in bank in a bank or a, a offshoot of their environment so that all the new accounts, new customers, new processes can be carried out on a new environment, which does not have any dependency on the legacy or does not carry any baggage so that they can start off the journey and slowly when they are moving towards the transformation, move module by module or a component by component to the new technology landscape. So we have the traditional banks looking at progressive modernization also trying to test the weather, having a digital native uh, bank. Then you also have a completely different breed of banks, which are digitally native challenger banks from day one utilizing cloud. And this is what we have been witnessing in the last two, two and a half years, Niki. So that, that gives a good summary of different models that banks could be adopting in terms of their digital journey and adoption of cloud as to how they would go about it. Now, uh, we're talking about implementing uh, AI and RPA effectively in your digital transformation journey. So I, I like, like to hear Henry Antonio's uh, view here as to you know share with us some of the uh, tangible stories as to how you have implemented these technologies uh, to bring about, uh, to improve your customer uh, uh, experience and customer uh, convenience at the bank. Specifically on AI and RPA, uh, the bank has taken an approach on RPA specifically to improve a lot of our internal efficiencies in terms of processes, particularly when there's a lot of manual processing involved, whether it's in the controllership department, whether in terms of processing customer transactions, so we've been looking at specific um, process and functionalities where we can automate those functionalities so that we can remove uh, the manual interventions of individuals uh, or even actually those kinds of processes which will require batching processes and we could actually do it more real time. Um, the pandemic actually is a great example of uh, where we've had to very quickly do some um, uh, changes uh, using RPA to help us improve uh, and to try to manage the provisions of the Bayanihan Act, which allowed a lot of the consumers 
to defer their payments. And so you can imagine if you had um, an existing system that have a fairly structured way of computing interest penalties and whatnot, and then you had to apply laissez-faire on an optional basis, uh, all the provisions of the deferment of loans as required by the Bayanihan Act, it creates a lot of chaos uh, in terms of managing our loan books. And so what we've been able to do is use um, RPA uh, essentially to help us automate some of these functionalities uh, without disrupting our core systems in loans, loans management. In terms of AI, um, we're fairly, I, I would say we're fairly conservative in terms of our approach, in terms of, um, of artificial intelligence. Uh, we're using more and more technologies, particularly in the customer experience, to sort of help uh, direct a lot of the routinary questions to chatbots, um, to you know, to some managed service. So we don't have to necessarily use individuals to essentially do these kinds of tasks. So it's towards improving your operational efficiency and as well as you know. Uh, digitizing the entire conversation uh, um, with, the, with the customers. How do you measure and balance your risk appetite uh, implemented in the cloud? Uh, so, uh, Henry, uh, would, you be like, would you like to add to that as well? It's actually a mindset. Because some people uh, have the mindset that going to the cloud is riskier. In Union Bank, the reason why we're moving to the cloud is we feel that more so because of the pandemic, uh, it's the safer choice. Uh, imagine how many uh, banks have we heard uh, having problems because they had to man their on-premise uh, data center. During the pandemic, since most of our processing packages are on the, on the cloud, uh, we didn't have to worry about infection rate about our people, uh, 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 against our people. Uh, and risking their lives going to the data center. So balancing risk, actually, if you implement it correctly, of course, there's a, there's a risky way of going to the cloud. One is uh, go with a very trusted cloud provider uh, that has been vetted and uh, uh, acknowledged by our regulator as safe and permissible. Uh, have a very uh, experienced partner to uh, do the migration and have a strong risk uh, organization internally in the bank that would oversee all the uh, changes that you will do. So actually, if you do it right, from a risk standpoint, uh, going to the cloud is much is a much safer and more sustainable uh, approach. So uh, that's that's a fact. So there is there are different angles of risk to it. Uh, while it it has uh, as, as I was mentioning earlier, there's also that risk of uh, you know, concentration risk uh, with regards to uh, IT vendors. And uh, so you have to keep that in mind as well. And, you know, variety of risks need to be balanced with the customer convenience when you are uh, implementing these technologies as well, right? That's a very good point. The concentration risk is also something that we're concerned with. That's why uh, it is also recommended uh, for you to diversify your cloud provider. So no cloud provider will be good for everybody and no cloud provider will be good for everything that you need. So you're right, that's one way of uh, mitigating the concentration risk. 
So, uh, uh, John, uh, perhaps we could hear your views about uh, API and open banking for innovation-led growth, uh, how to deliver a personalized engagement using this open banking. And, you know, also, uh, how do you address these challenges with regards to infrastructure, connectivity challenges uh, uh, when you're building your technology around open banking? Our experience with uh, exposing banking services to our partners via APIs it was interesting uh, over the last two years because you take the uh, telecoms infrastructure for granted nationwide. Uh, you have a very strong cloud backbone. You have good connectivity with your partners. But when your partners have four or 500 branches across the country, the last mile to the consumer uh, is the, the critical failure point that you don't really see. Uh, when you expose banking services via APIs, because they're at that point where in a physical location, they're going to consume a service, but that service is not getting to them because of the last mile. Um, and we've had that as an interesting, uh, uh, I guess, lesson uh, in providing uh, open banking. Also, what we noticed when the open banking extends beyond the, you know, the device screen or the, web, the website, when the open banking service is now uh, uh, consumed at a physical location, you now have to work with your partner in terms of the customer experience because a customer that is doing a payment or drawing against a loan at a physical location via an API uh, thinks that service end-to-end -end is the bank, uh, not just the, the partners as the last mile. So you work with the partner also in improving the customer experience because in their mind, you know, and micro an MSME that's paying for inventory uh, via a web, web service or an API at the delivery point uh, thinks that's the banking service. When in fact, there are many intermediaries, uh, the, the logistics, the fulfillment, the ordering of the partner uh, that come into play. And so you have to work with all of them uh, in managing the customer experience and improving it and learning from it. So we've had to adjust uh, APIs and web services based on the feedback of uh, customers in the front lines. And so that, I think that's the, the lesson I think that we've taken away in the last two years. Uh, it's, it's a different uh, ball game when the consumption of open banking is bridging uh, virtual to physical. So, uh, and when we talk about open banking, the other angle uh, that uh, relates with cloud as well, and one of the questions that come from audience as well is, is around uh, data security and data privacy, you know, so especially when you're using cloud and when you're using open banking as well. So uh, uh, how, how do you handle that? Well, we've never really been alien to the concept of cloud because over the last 10 years, PBCOM has not had a physical data center. We've outsourced our data centers and we moved our servers 10 years ago to a virtual environment, which in effect is an on-premise cloud uh, infrastructure. So for us, it was a natural extension to, uh, to move into the cloud for several of our applications. And because we were in that mindset already before that you know, we, don't, we don't own the, the entire picture in terms of infrastructure, right? Uh, we've taken steps over the years to address data security leaks, uh, uh, third-party risk, um, redundancies, uh, et cetera, et cetera, uh, which become very, I guess, glaring when you're first moving into a cloud uh, instance, because you're not, you're not built for that as an organization. 
But for us, because we've, we've taken a 10 year journey from virtual environment to cloud, it wasn't a uh, quantum leap. It was a gradual, I guess, progression. So the risk management was always there. Uh, the, the, the recognition that the risk of a cloud provider is not much different from an outsourced data center. So that, that's true. Um, I mean, well, the fact is that banks have to look at uh, risk from a variety of angles. You know, yeah. it's, it's not just the technology or, the, or, or this angle, uh, you know, uh, data privacy, but it's also the fact that the whole migration ex as an exercise, the way you're shifting to these new technologies, you've got these emerging technologies, but how to uh, implement them in such a way that the potential risk for the organization is is uh, especially you know uh, things like cybersecurity risk, which is which which we also really served during the pandemic. You're not supposed to do this journey alone. You're supposed to work closely with your regulators. Uh, That's true. So you have your your government agencies for data privacy. You have your regulators for the banking industry. Uh, you also have uh, third-party associations that uh, manage cybersecurity risk, et cetera, et cetera. So you don't do this journey alone. You have to leverage on uh, the people who regulate you and the people that can help you address the different risks. And you have to also meet the evolving regulations with speed, which That's is also a challenge for, for most regulators. Yeah. You're, not, you're not surprised about any change in regulation. They, they actually vet the regulations with the banks in advance. So you're not going to be surprised when they come out. And there's a collaborative, uh, I guess, interaction where the, where, the, where the banks also give feedback to the regulators in crafting these regulations. So uh, Maya, at this point, uh, uh, a brief comment from you as well on uh, you know, the potential risks that banks need to be cognizant of when they're implementing these new technologies. And you know, how do they build their technology and processes uh, to, uh, to adapt to these uh, applic new applications securely? Yeah, I think I completely agree with what John mentioned in terms of the collaborative way to look at security with these with central agencies. But if you look at now uh, coming from a background of uh, uh, serving uh, banks in 100 countries, 400 countries, we have seen various ways the, the security elements can be addressed. And as you rightly mentioned during the pandemic, because more and more things are moving towards digital, the other element of that, the cybersecurity issues also cropped up uh, a big time. I think there are two things that uh, banks need to do it. And this is what as a best practice that we have seen from our implementation experiences. One is in terms of a comprehensive, holistic education, both inside and outside of the bank about the security threats. Outside with respect to the consumer, whether they're retail consumers or corporate consumers in terms of how to use, how to protect their identity and how not to reveal some of the elements that a bank provides in a confidential uh, uh, kind of a thing. The second thing that banks also need to look at is in terms of always look at security as a journey. No bank in the world can claim that they have reached the destination as when it comes to in terms of a security. So it is a journey. In this journey, you have to keep experimenting. If you now look at in terms of around 10 years back, it, all that was required for you to withdraw cash from a bank is either a signature that matches the signature that you have signed when you open the account. Or if you go to an ATM, it is basically the pin that matters. But today, most of the global regulatory agencies have come out with a multi-factor authentication or a two-factor authentication so that you are able to manage the additional risk factor by having one more authentication provided by the customers. And at the end of the day, if you now look at, the security is a matter of three things. 
it's basically verifying what you are what you have and what you know so if among these three things if banks can select any of the two things and make it as a workable solution with a convenience because security should not become an impediment for bankers to uh, offer it and as well as the users to use it so it could be a, 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 a convenient marriage between the security and the convenience coming together and we have seen that there is significant development in this area as uh, john mentioned there are a lot of ecosystem partners who take care of the security the hyperscalers when it comes to in terms of the cloud environment they have built world class securities in terms of logical access control physical access control the data transmission layer and they also have huge investments uh, either in the community or on the on, on the infrastructure itself which should provide the required confidence for the banks to go ahead and implement uh, things on cloud because that is the way forward for the banks to be more effective relevant and contextual in the changing dynamics of the global banking uh, environment so uh, now at this point i also want to talk a bit about uh, you know uh, the impact of uh, digital transformation as such on the on the business you know how how to uh, design your uh, or digitize your core business of lending deposits and payments and move towards uh, uh, to see the actual business impact that you're looking for so uh, uh, perhaps uh, noel uh, uh, you uh, a perspective from you on this uh, so digital is really a moving target we uh, all banks have set up a, a, a promising target uh, or, or targets to achieve in terms of digitization uh, how do you actually achieve them uh, where are you on this journey and uh, tell us a bit about that yeah yeah um talking about the the lending space right um if you look at most of the players uh, they tend to draw their their lending business from the accumulation of data right uh it's more of a data driven kind of a business model and uh, with with the, the amount of data that they are collecting both within their ecosystem and partner ecosystem that's how they are able to determine the viability of that business right and this is where ai ai analytics and all this um, technology comes into play right so everybody is banking that uh, with with the richness of the data that they're getting their ability to understand the credit the credit risk that they're taking against the opportunities in the market would have a higher chance of success so again everybody is uh, looking at data as the as a way to to accelerate and make their lending capability uh, more accurate and predictable that's true a data data as they say data is the new oil or probably the most important resource for the bank so because uh, but the the question is also uh, to have the right data infrastructure and how to utilize that data infrastructure effectively to be to have that kind of a business outcome and that's that's always been a challenge it's it's actually a moving journey for banks uh, especially the amount of data that they have access to now uh, both structured and unstructured so to have that kind of a uh, infrastructure around it uh, to be able to bring the business impact from that uh, uh, huge amount of data that they have uh, that that's also a challenge for banks really. yes and the key there is uh, the data is only as good as the people who's asking the question right uh, and people who's looking at what does it mean 
sometimes you get swarmed by, you get overloaded with so many data, but you don't really know what you're looking for uh, unless you, you ask the right question. So it requires certain maturity as well within the organization to start asking, right? Uh, and also appreciate what are the findings and insights that our the data scientists are, are giving you, right? So it requires a, a, a two-prong or a, a multifaceted approach. Somebody who's from the business side who's asking the right question and the inciting coming from the data scientists and saying, you know, this is our findings both from the direct data, the aggregated data, and the proxy data that we have, right? Does it mean anything to you? Right? Can you <laughs> derive value in this kind of value? Way? So we would like to get insight from uh, RCBC as we have seen talks about uh, ro robotics and uh, how do these things from various, you know, from various pressures they've seen this thing in terms of practical cases where the bank is leveraging on this. I mean, I could give you at least three examples. One very simple one that we've done is in terms of internal processing on, on withholding cert certificates, uh, tax withholding certificates. This is in the controllership area. Uh, one of the things that you could do very quickly is uh, you pretty much have a consistent list of alpha list of people that you that we withhold from. And there is a whole process of actually performing the data entry into the forms, as you know, the BIR still requires us to do that, and then physically providing these forms to the vendors uh, or to the people that we've withheld uh, amounts to. And so we essentially use robotics to essentially pull this data, put it into these forms, and then trigger that so that it's sent, so that there's no, no more individuals actually essentially stuffing envelopes and sending them over. That's a very simple, uh, very useful and very productive way of using RPA in very, very simple processes within internally within the bank. Another way is essentially, obviously, trying to put AI and RPA in use in terms of the, the, the customer service, right? I mean, there are many, many basic processes that the banks uh, have to essentially respond to with customers. It's a statement of accounts, uh, requests for certain things. And if we're able to uh, use robotics, um, essentially automate our chat buttons to be able to answer these things, it's, it, it takes out quite a bit of the resources necessary to, to manage our customer service. Uh, and then our people can move to higher level of services where you have more complicated transactions, where you actually need individuals to look at it uh, uniquely and then address the client's requirements. The other thing I, I kind of want to share here, because I'm not really, I'm more of a strategy guy and a finance guy before technology. And so my approach is a little different. Uh, when we talk about regulations and we talk about technology and applying technology, I think the biggest risk for us really is to find how we define our strategy, right? Because as I, I, I agree with my colleagues to say, if we were a greenfield operation and we're starting today, it's easy. It's easy to make a decision to do this, this, and that, and then just be at the cloud, do everything streamlined, no paper, et cetera. But when you have a legacy business with brick and mortar branches, with individuals working there, with clients that expect a certain service, it is a hell of a lot more complicated than just moving everything into a digital space. And so um, 
fine tuning that strategy, managing the resources, and actually, you know, making sure you understand what the shareholders are willing to risk in terms of resources, in terms of investment, because uh, technology is changing very quickly. And you might not have 10 years for an ROI to make sure that everything is paid for. And so you just can't, you know, you talk about concentration risk. Well, this is one concentration risk that will hit you hard. If you don't spend enough time thinking about strategy and making sure that you use those dollars where they count the most for every bank. And unfortunately, every bank will have a different approach. That's true. So uh, in fact, when we're talking about risk, one other angle is uh, fraud risk. And that's been uh, troubling. I mean, that's that's one fact that a lot of banks have been uh, bothered about. That's one of the top of the mind priority. Facing the rise of social engineering fraud is, uh, is two-factor sufficient, uh, two authentication sufficient. Or should banks look for three-factor <clears throat> authentication using biometrics, uh, such as behavioral biometrics? I would strongly recommend to move slowly into a multi-factor authentication. Um, one of the key aspects is biometric. Um, the simplest thing to go to market is your touch IDs using your finger. The second, if you can enable face detections because most of your technology, both web and mobile can allow you, even your ATMs can be enhanced with face-based biometric. That's a second. A third advantage, if you can have little more high technology, sophisticated customer base, move into voice. Today, all these three, three technologies are enabled. All you need is a better algorithm to build, um, apart from your SMS, OTP, and PIN. Um, you can bring this biometric uh, on top of tokenizations. If you can bring tied together with the different use cases, it will be that the end user touch points are much, much more secure. How can we leverage on technologies such as AI to better manage or prevent the emerging incidents of fraud in digital banking? So uh, Henry or anybody else uh, who wants to address this? So for, for our bank, we apply AI uh, in terms of uh, uh, usage patterns. Uh, we don't just use it for fraud. We also do it for AMLA monitoring. And the problem for you know detecting fraud is the number of incidents you have to go through before you find the proverbial needle in the haystack. So AI allows us to optimize the limited resources we have and they filter away the ones that are going to be false uh, positive. So that's that's one very good use of AI, allowing us to filter away the uh, non-critical transactions our people can concentrate on the ones with the higher chance of uh, being fraud or being the resistance to change in digital transformation initiative and that's a challenge with which almost all banks face so uh, how has been the adoption of uh, this uh, these changes that you brought about uh, and uh, was there a resistance to change and what steps did you take to ensure that such initiatives met the uh, expected outcome uh, that that you were targeting Internally, we have seen uh, minimum resistance. Uh, we have more resistance in getting the vaccine than the digital transformation. So, because the, 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 our own internal people have seen the value of what it's doing, not only for them, but also the client. Their client is telling them that uh, what we have built for them really helped their day-to-day -day 
uh, activities, right? So, and by doing so, they also become, uh, they embrace, no? they embrace the, the digitalization, the transformation, and thereby creating them as our evangelists. No? Uh, in fact, some of our most, um, the people that is most resistant in the past, after they have learned, no? after they've listened to customers' testimony, ended up being our evangelists and really showcasing their experience um, of a certain age group. Uh, they say it's, it's as easy as uh, uh, watching a Netflix. No? If you can, you can run Facebook, you can do Netflix, uh, it can be done. So resistance-wise, uh, it, it was never an issue for us. From a mid-sized bank that is very focused on a uh, very defined niche in terms of clients, uh, we, we do experience resistance. And um, the one thing that we do in RCBC is to make sure that people are exposed to the technology that we're developing because we can't sell what we don't know. And therefore, all relationship managers, all people in the back office, you know, they have to have the online banking accounts. They have to utilize, you know, the, the various web portals we use to update customer information. Uh, we make sure that they, they experience all the applications that we're, we're setting up. And, and really there's no, I don't think there's a short way of, or short circuiting that process of maturity. The only best way to do it is to really expose the people, make them feel comfortable and, uh, and make the application very user-friendly. And, and that's really been our focus more and more now is to ensure that everything that we do it's extremely user-friendly, it's extremely intuitive, even when we're using uh, productivity tools for our relationship managers, uh, because we wanna make sure that they focus not on the technology or the functionality, but they focus on the job, which is really to serve our clients and do more acquisitions. So yeah, so essentially focused a lot more, you know, channelizing the entire, uh, processes towards uh, customer centricity and to ensure that there's a better acquisition of customers, better convenience for customers customers and personalization. That's, that's true. A quick question to John about the kind of business impact that they have been able to brought, bring about with, with uh, digitizing of uh, their core uh, lending deposits and payments. And if you could just uh, talk uh, some of the areas where you've, uh, you know, the, the how did you, what, how did you bring about the maximum impact and you were able to achieve your targets that you've set about uh, for digitization? Um, it was all about, uh, I guess, flexibility and agility to uh, adapt to the requirements of our uh, customers and partners. We've uh, reinvented ourselves over the last five years and as an ecosystem bank. And so in, in order to be successful at that, we'd had to service the different requirements of different conglomerates and corporates uh, in their upstream and downstream uh, financial transactions, upstream to suppliers and their uh, own ecosystems and downstream to their uh, retail or uh, corporate customers. So the, the, the flows, the financial flows, the flows of information uh, had to be facilitated by uh, laying the groundwork via digital infrastructure uh, independent of the traditional uh, brick and mortar touch points that we had uh, to, and in fact, extending that so that we could service the ecosystems. 
So upstream and downstream extension, yeah, I mean, so integration, that's that's quite important part. Maya, a quick comment from you as well. Uh, and, you know, uh, talk, talking about, you know, moving towards the digital future that uh, uh, for Philippines Bank specifically, I, I would love to hear from you a quick wrap up comment about how uh, banks could be digital future ready in this evolving and dynamic environment, uh, operating environment that they have. Uh, so we've heard uh, various view, varied views from uh, our bankers and uh, as well as the challenges that they've faced uh, with regards to uh, various, various aspects of technology, the business requirement, the resistance to change. So uh, a quick comment on, on you, from you as well. See, from our own experience, what we have seen is uh, two important trends are taking place. One is in terms of increasingly the power is moving to the endpoints. When I say endpoints, it is basically the end consumers or the retail corporate or SMEs. The second trend that we're observing is, is the banking is more of an experience and less of banking. So with these two things and combined with the global population demography, you know, look at more than 60% of the global population is less than 30 years of age. And it is even more skewed in countries in Southeast Asia and Philippines is no exception to it. And when these people have about 80% of them are connected to the internet and to social media and things like that, they would expect that a similar experience is provided in their banking journey also. So banking has to be part and parcel of their in their day-to-day -day life. And they did not have to know, go to a bank or go to a branch or go to an ATM. It should be just like how easy for them to order something using an app on their phone, either for a taxi hailing or in terms of the food delivery or in terms of groceries, in terms of movie tickets. I think the life of banking will become like that. So from that perspective, the banks are now looking at moving towards that kind of an expectation matching uh, by the infrastructure. When I say infrastructure, it includes two sets of infrastructure. One is in terms of the market infrastructure, which is the basic responsibility of the local regulatory authorities and the government to provide in terms of a proper broadband network, in terms of the regulatory environment. And we have seen this happening in India with the market infrastructure. Uh, like an, a single identity electronically, you can come uh, do a KYC. And because of which entities are able to now add more than 100 million, 200 million customers within uh, uh, a two minutes, three minutes for each customer. And similarly, we have also seen leveraging the, the network in terms of the broadband, in terms of the bandwidth. So these are all coming together for the customer's expectation to be met and banks cannot stay behind in this journey. And it is the requirement of day that they need to now look at how to meet the trend of increasingly power moving to the endpoints, and as well as making sure that banking is more of an experience and less of banking. These are the two things that we are looking at, digital taking to the next step. So it's been a very wide ranging and engaging uh, insightful discussion, I would say. So uh, and we've covered a variety of topics. It's clear from what from our discussion today that uh, banks in Philippines have been very progressive in their digital transformation in cloud adoption as well. So many of the banks are, uh, and this is driven by the strong regulatory support uh, that banks have been getting as well. So uh, they have adopted to cloud transformation quite progressively and aggressively. The institutions are uh, actively shifting their cloud uh, uh, migration toward uh, core banking and um, core technology uh, to be migrated to cloud uh, for greater efficiency, scale, and agility. Of course, there are challenges that we heard about, uh, especially uh, if it's an existing bank with a legacy. So therefore, there are uh, uh, 
fair amount of challenges that need to be addressed in the process. There, we also talked about uh, the uh, IT concentration risk, uh, uh, different models that banks are adopting with, with regards to cloud adoption, whether it's a digital arm or a completely uh, new digital bank or uh, just shifting a part of your technology onto cloud. So there are very models that we talked about as well. Uh, we also talked about uh, emerging technologies such as AI, RPA, open banking, uh, how these are being uh, used by banks to bring about the business impact, the customer experience that they are looking for. Uh, uh, interestingly, uh, the fraud uh, risk is another area that, uh, and as well as cybersecurity risks. So th those are some of the other risks that uh, that banks are talking about and, and how they are addressing. So, so uh, that, that's the other angle we covered. We, during um, our session, we did a survey and we asked our audience about uh, how, if they are investing into digital transformation, and 88% said yes. So, which kind of shows that uh, you know there's, there's a very strong focus uh, across banks, uh, especially in Philippines, uh, towards uh, digital transformation. So, uh, so uh, great. Uh, with that, uh, I would like to uh, end today's session. I want to thank uh, Ramu. Um, uh, Mr. Henry Aguda, uh, Henry Antonio, uh, Jean, Noel, Maya, and all the guests for joining us today. We hope that our audience have benefited uh, from your insight and your experience. So thank you so much, everyone. Have a good day. Stay safe. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.